Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. What a great day to gather as the people of God and to celebrate and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm reminded this morning that there's a tomb in Jerusalem that's empty, and there's a throne in heaven that's occupied by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we are so grateful uh, for all that he has done. We are thankful that uh, there is no more work to be done, that it is finished, and that he is alive. Yeah, we can, let's praise God for that, you know, for, for centuries the church would greet one another and uh, one would say, he is risen, and there would be a response, he is risen indeed. And so uh, let's do that uh, with, with a shout this morning, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that the tomb is empty, and we are thankful this morning that because Jesus is alive, that everything has changed. Lord, that our forgiveness has been uh, made possible, Lord, through the cross of Christ. And as Jesus rose from the grave, we see that the Father was well pleased with that sacrifice made in our place. And this morning, God, we pray, Lord, that we might respond in the only way that is appropriate, and that is in worship and surrender for all that you have done. Lord, we love you. We pray, God, and thank you for every person that is gathered here in this room. God, we thank you for uh, such a great group of, of, of people, Lord, that have gathered to worship you this morning. Those uh, that are in overflow, those that are on, on, online this morning, God, we are grateful that we come together with one voice to declare that Jesus is alive. And Lord, we're so grateful. God, we pray you'd have your will and way in every moment today and that you would be glorified in all that takes place. God, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Again, so grateful uh, just to see all of you this morning. So grateful uh, to get to, to have the privilege to gather together today uh, and celebrate this first day of the week. Because of the resurrection, uh, the church gathers on this first day of the week. Uh, we are uh, a people that celebrate every Sunday and every day the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, had a, a great time uh, being away last week. Appreciated uh, Pastor Chris and, and just a great job that he did. And we were able to disconnect a little bit with family and uh, just to, to spend some time together. And so uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, just so grateful that you're here. We'd love uh, to connect with you and serve uh, your family in any way uh, that we could. You'll see some uh, pockets around uh, in the back of the chairs. You'll see some, some places there that uh, you can fill out a connect card or take sermon notes. You'll see uh, also in the Cowie Church app the ability to follow along uh, with the sermon there and find out information about things that will be coming up, uh, new studies, things that will be taking place in the coming weeks. We encourage you to check uh, those things out. Uh, we were able to slip away and, and go down toward Florida, and we uh, camped that week. And one of the things that uh, is great about having a camper is you can just kind of drive as far as you want to and stop. And if you can find a Cracker Barrel, uh, they're glad for you to park in their parking lot, and they'll even feed you uh, the next morning, right? It's just such a blessing, right? I think uh, with a camper, you really don't have to, you just go to Cracker Barrel to Cracker Barrel. That's where we're staying, right? Just <laughs> hang out there. It's cheap. Like, you know, buy some coffee in the morning. Everything is good, right? So we're uh, so we're going by, we stopped at Old Cracker Barrel, and 
And we're uh, that morning in the, the, the little gift shop area that you can wait on while they get your table ready. And so uh, my wife and my son, they were playing some checkers that morning. I'd been marinating just on uh, this Resurrection Sunday and just all that uh, had been accomplished at the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And I was, I was watching them uh, play checkers. And, and some of you know the checkers rules, right? Like if you're playing and you move and then you take your hand off, what does that mean? It's done, right? Like, like it's done. And so, but, but there was this tendency for both of them, right? They're playing and they're kind of going along and uh, they, would, they would make a move and then they would kind of be looking around. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you took your hand off, you would see that it was the worst move you could have ever made, right? And there's like a triple jump. And, and there was this, this desire that they would have just to be able to start fresh, right? Just to be able to kind of get that move back. But what we realize is that, you know, while we might let that slide a little bit in checkers, we really don't get that kind of blessing normally in, in, in life, right? We, we were coming back from this trip and I'd been praying on the way home. I was like, God, you know, I'm, and by the way, we're going to be walking through uh, an entire chapter. We talk about an Easter miracle. We're going to be in John chapter 20. It's my hope that we can walk through the entire chapter, right? And some of y'all are saying that will definitely be a, a resurrection miracle, right? This, this, is, this can happen today. So if you want to if you want to begin to turn there, uh, but I've been marinating on this chapter and just listening to it over and over and just thinking about uh, just this beautiful Resurrection Sunday uh, narrative that we experience and really some of the week following. And we're driving home and I'm like, Lord, uh, just we don't have anything to open up with. And so be careful what you pray for. I'm, I'm pulling my camper back and we're, we're driving up our driveway. Well, the only way that we can back into our house, we've got a pretty steep driveway. And the only way you can go in, our neighbors are kind enough to let us pull down in this road that they don't use. And then you can kind of pull down in there and then you can just back the camper into our driveway. And so we're coming back and we're uh, just kind of, you know, getting, getting kind of close to, to dusk. We're, we're moving into that time. We want to be back in. And I pull down in this road. And when I pull down in this road, I, I start backing up. And I realize that while it had been sunny in Florida, yeah. it had not been sunny right here in right. the mountains. <laughs> and I should have known better. I should have known better. But I pull down in there. And I, I start getting kind of turned around. And, and the trees have grown up just a little bit. And I probably should have cut a little bit of those before. And so I've got a little narrower run there. And so I pull down in there and I begin to back up. Well, before long, I'm realizing that this is a bad move. And I begin to spin just a little bit. But as any man, we, we were kind of like, okay, I can, I can get my way out of here. Like, I'm going to go get my chainsaw. This is no problem. I have this fixed in no time. So I, I get my chainsaw. I go out. I start cutting a little bit, make some room, you know, so I can so I pull up again. I, I decide, hey, you know, it's four-wheel drive. i got some pretty decent tires on there. I'm going to put this thing in four-wheel low. There's going to be no problem. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do it for sure. Then, well, I start backing up again, and what I figure out, like, is every time I back up, the mess just gets worse, right? And the more I'm doing, like, the more I'm doing, the worse it's getting. And, man, before you know it, like, I'm, I've got ruts in the road. Uh, I, I'm starting. It's looking good. My neighbors will be back. I'm like, I wonder when they'll be coming back. Two days. I'm thinking, I got a little cleaning to do uh, before they get back, right? So, so I've got this thing mucked all up. I'm starting to back up. I'm like, this camper's going nowhere. I back up one last time. I start to slide. I say, you know what? There's nothing, there's nothing I'm going to do to get out of this mess until it dries out, right? There's nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm done right here. I'm stuck in this moment. And so then I, I'm, I'm marinating on some of that, and I get out, and I, I pull up my phone, and I look at the weather app. And, man, I'm so thankful that it was sunshine coming today. And I was reminded that this Easter Sunday that we recognize that humanity, right, was in a mess, right? We were in the mar of our sin and we were buried in it. 
And, and as we sung in this all-sufficient merit, right, we, we recognized that God had given us the law, and, and the law had served as this, this great reminder of just how far we missed the mark, right? The Bible would tell us that all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we recognize that as by one man sin entered into this world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all have sinned, and here we are in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our mess, and everything that we are trying to do, we just keep getting deeper and deeper in it. The works that we're trying to do, there's nothing, right, that we could do uh, to, to get our way out of this mess. And when we come together today, we celebrate and we rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. This reality of us being marred up in our sin and our mess, our righteousness, nothing but filthy rags in his sight. And glory to God, right? Jesus enters into the midst of the brokenness of this world, right? Born of a virgin, prophesied of old, the, the promised Messiah, the one that they had been looking for, but not like he came. Not, they were not expecting uh, him to come in the way that he did. Born a, a baby, lived a sinless life. And stretched out on a criminal's cross, dying a substitutionary, atoning death in the place of sinners. And in John chapter 20, we're going to pick up. Jesus has been crucified. He has cried out from the cross. It is finished. He had breathed his last. And he had been placed in a borrowed tomb. We think about that morning and we look and we know the story, right? It's so familiar to us, but I want you to imagine his followers that first Easter morning, that first weekend, they, they were crushed, right? They were, uh, they, they were, Jesus had, had given them so many things and despite all that Jesus had taught them in preparing for this moment, right? Their hopes, their dreams, they're crushed. His disciples had scattered, their Messiah was dead, all hope seemed lost. So it said so well and, and reflected so well by those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we had hoped. We had hoped that he would be the one to deliver Israel. We had, we had hoped, past tense, that Jesus would be the one. Discouraged, distraught, fearful, weeping, Wearied and worried. That's where we find them that first Easter Sunday. And as we look at John's gospel beginning in verse 1, I want you to just for a minute lean into that moment. The scripture says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came, to the, came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken from the tomb. Now, Mary had come that morning, and we know from the other Gospels that there were other ladies that were present, and that she had come that morning, and she had come with this incredible purpose, right? And aren't you glad uh, that that morning when she came to the tomb, she had come to anoint the body of Jesus? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, why was she doing that? We read at the end of, of John chapter uh, 19, uh, we read that uh, Joseph of Arimathea, right, that this follower of Jesus uh, who uh, loaned his tomb out, right, this, this borrowed tomb that was shared. We read Joseph of Arimathea, and, and we read of a man named Nicodemus, and we remember the first time that Jesus had encountered Nicodemus, that 
uh, in those moments, right, that he was fearful that he had came to Jesus at night, but they had come and they had asked Pilate to be able to take him down and to give him burial. And what we read is that they had taken 75 pounds of ointment and that they had prepared the body of Jesus and they had placed him in this nearby tomb, right? And, and, and here are these ladies, they're coming back that Easter Sunday morning and they're coming back that resurrection Sunday and they're coming to see the body of Jesus. They're coming to anoint his body and to properly prepare him uh, for burial and to do all that they can. Now we're thinking, why in the world would they come back after the guys had done all that on Friday evening? Well, for those of you ladies in the room, you understand that after two guys tried to take care of all that, that they needed to come back and put the finishing touches on that, right? Like when I, I don't know about you, but, but when I try to cook and do anything in the kitchen, like I think I'm like one of those Japanese chefs, right? So I'm, I'm going to do all that stuff. And, and it looks like something has exploded uh, by the time it's done. And I see Sherry just come like right along behind me. And so these ladies come and, and they're going uh, to properly uh, prepare Jesus' body. They're going to uh, anoint him with these spices and wrap. But what they find is something Different. They find that the stone had already been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, this is the way John is referring to himself uh, in this gospel. And, and sometimes people can look at that and say, well, is John saying, like, I'm his favorite, right? Is that what he's saying? But I, I believe John is taking this very humble approach. And he's saying nothing about, like, he didn't say it'd be different if he said that he came to the disciple that loved Jesus. Like, I'm the one that's doing all this. But he said, I, but he came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So here they are in this moment and, and we read Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. Now verse four, very interesting that it's included here. The two were running together. And so when we read this gospel account, right, the disciple that Jesus loved, John is writing this, and he wants us to know a couple of things. Like when we read John chapter 20, he wants us to know without a doubt that Jesus is alive, right, that he is risen from the grave. And he also wants us to understand that he's faster than Peter. Look at this right here. He says, hey, and I understand it. Like, I, and Peter was older, right? And so Peter probably outran him when he was younger. And, and the young guy's coming back, right? And he's like, listen. He says, they were running together. So many they started at the same time. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. He said, I got there first. I outran Peter. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him. Just one more reminder, I was there first. Us guys, we, we do that kind of stuff, y'all know. <laughs> Following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, if someone had come to steal the body of Jesus, they're certainly not uh, leaving those cloths there. They're certainly not taking time to fold this face cloth that was there and Tradition and, and just would tell us that if, if someone was leaving the dinner table, if they were uh, stepping away for a moment and they were coming back, that they would fold uh, their napkin neatly and that they would leave that and it would indicate to those that were serving, it would indicate uh, to those that they uh, were coming back, that they were not fun to leave those things there. And so uh, there, there's you know, indication there that uh, we could see uh, just this reminder that Jesus is returning, uh, that he is coming back, but, but there's no doubt, right, that here's these linen cloths lying. The Bible tells us that, verse 8, that the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. 
Now, in this gospel, it's interesting. There's, there's like six Greek words that they use for uh, to see. And in this chapter, when Mary comes, the first word uh, gives this indication of someone that really glances in and then moves quickly. And so there's this just kind of glance. The, the second word, when it talks about Peter looking in and seeing, it's this picture of him looking in and pondering and reflecting. But when John looks in, there's this picture of him seeing and understanding. And, and John looks in and he begins to understand Jesus is alive. He begins to to see this. Verse 9, he says, For yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, the empty tomb should have been enough, right? The empty tomb, the testimony of, of the ladies that were gathered that morning would have been enough. But we are so grateful and we're so, uh, so thankful that Jesus was faithful to reveal himself to each of the folks that we're going to see in this passage to encounter them in their doubt and in their unbelief and to reveal themselves, to, to, to engage with them in the grief and confusion of the moments. Look at verse 10. The scripture says, So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. She was broken. She was grieving. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, this seems like a horrible question to ask somebody. Like, like if I see people weeping at the cemetery up here, to come and ask them, Why are you weeping? would seem very cruel. But these angels knew, Woman, why are you weeping? Jesus is alive. Why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. They, and I don't know where they've put him. She came to anoint Jesus' body, and he's not there. They've stolen him. She just had not got it with her natural eyes. And when she saw this, she turned around, and the Bible says that she saw Jesus standing there. And she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She says to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Here she is in her grief and in this great love for him, desiring that he would be properly buried. She says, if you'll just tell me where you've put him, I will take care of him myself. I will do anything I can. She's grieving, and she's weary. And Jesus calls her by name. Verse 16, he says, Mary. Can you imagine that moment? And she turns to him, and in Hebrew it says, Rabboni. And there's this... This moment where we can imagine that all of her grief and all of her sorrow and she is standing face to face with the risen Lord Jesus in his glorified body. And we, we can only imagine how she came and embraced and Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and my God and your God. Can you imagine those moments as she clinging to Jesus. And as I look at this, this account of this resurrection narrative of that morning and the way that he engages with Mary, I'm reminded that because he lives, that we too can have hope in times of hurting. You know, we come in this morning and around this room, there are all kinds of different stories. There are people that are grieving the loss of loved ones and there are people that are, 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 are walking through difficult times. And I want to remind you this morning that you can cling to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in these moments and you can have 
hope. Peter said it this way. He said, we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, we are reminded that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that at the last trumpet, that the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. In that same chapter, we're reminded that death has been swallowed up in victory, that our, that our mortality will put on immortality, right? That we are going to be changed. Paul would write to those that were grieving in Thessalonica, and he would say, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who are asleep. Listen, we sorrow in the midst of our pain, but we don't grieve as a people without hope. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and listen, because of the resurrection, we gather as a people with hope, and we look to that day where Jesus will return and where all things will be made new. And because he lives, no matter what things that we're walking through, no matter the suffering and the pain, we gather with hope in those moments. We can have hope in times of hurting. And for Mary, that grief turned to joy. And by the way, those, those two things for us exist at the same time until he returns. We, we, we have that grief, but there's joy in the midst. Now, everything has changed for her in a moment. And off she goes. She comes in verse 18, announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. She comes to where they're gathered and she says, listen, he is alive. I've seen the Lord. And he said these things. She shares what he has shared to her. In Luke's gospel in chapter 24, verse 11, we, we read that to the disciples, as she testified of seeing the risen Christ, that it seemed like nonsense to them, that they did not believe. But Jesus is so faithful. Jesus is so faithful. You know, we're going we're gonna to get to a place where we read about Thomas and we're going to read about his doubt, but we see doubt throughout this chapter. Thomas ends up with a bad rap in the midst of this. But here they are... And Jesus is so faithful, right, to reveal himself to them. Scripture says, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and here the disciples were, they were gathered, they, they were behind locked doors, and they were gathered in fear of their life. After what had happened to their Messiah and the, them as followers of them, they were fearful of what might happen to them. The Scripture says, and when the doors were shut where they were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. I mean, can you imagine that moment? Jesus is standing in their midst resurrected in this glorified body and in the midst of those moments he says to them peace be with you listen because he lives we can have hope in the times of hurting we can we can also though have faith in times of fear look at verse 20 when he said this he showed them both his hands and his side and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the lord Jesus stands in their midst and, and I can imagine in the way that he might have showed his hands and his side that he would have stretched his arms out and you could see those wounds from the cross. They would look at those and they would see the side that had been pierced and in the shadow of the cross, they looked and they believed. In the shadow of the cross, they, they rejoiced. And Jesus says to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, in this passage, we're, we're, this is not saying that these uh, disciples, that these apostles had the ability uh, to grant forgiveness of sin or to, uh, to withhold that. But they had the message of the gospel and they had the ability to go and declare that if you believe and trust in the finished work of the cross, that your sins could be forgiven. John would later write, he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. That they could declare that if you deny and reject the work of Christ, if you reject Jesus, as he declared, we don't see a lot about Thomas. We're going to read about him. We, we find out that one of the disciples was missing when Jesus showed up that Sunday evening. And, and we're going to read about him. We don't have a lot of accounts that we see uh, of Thomas, but we read uh, in John 11 where Jesus is going back to, uh, to raise Lazarus from uh, the grave that, that as they're going back that Thomas would look and say, oh, my goodness. He, he, he kind of had this, this, this weary moment where he says, let us just all go and die with him. We see this kind of, of response, this kind of, of, of picture uh, in these moments. And, but we're going to see just how faithful our God is to reveal himself to Thomas. Verse 24, he says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And Didymus just means twin. And we don't know uh, who that twin was. I've heard... Uh, pastors say that uh, maybe it was left uh, just like that because maybe we're supposed to see ourselves uh, even in that place where we may uh, relate to him and in his doubt. Uh, one of the disciples, right, he's, he's missing and Thomas uh, is in those moments and maybe you're here this morning, you relate to Mary, you're experiencing grief. Maybe you relate to the disciples and you fear the unknowns and the things that are going on and you find yourself in those kind of moments, circumstances that are difficult that are around you or maybe you're like Thomas and maybe you're a bit skeptical of, of this whole Christianity. Maybe you're a bit skeptical of the resurrection. Maybe, maybe this is your first time in church in a long time. Maybe you've been invited this Easter and you're just kind of looking in. Maybe you're like Thomas just wondering. Maybe there's a little bit of doubt and I want to encourage you that the resurrected Christ has a word for you today as well. Verse 25 Thomas has been gone, and, and the disciples, uh, when they've gathered back together, are saying to him, and, and there's this picture uh, of the, the language and the way that it is worded, that there's a continual, uh, that they're saying to him over and over, listen, Jesus is alive. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas has gotten a bad rap, right? We all know him as Doubting Thomas, and I'm so glad that, uh, that I'm not known and that we're not known for the lowest moments in our life, and maybe he would be better described as declaring Thomas or believing Thomas, but maybe you're here this morning and you relate so much to him. Maybe you're doubting the resurrection, or maybe even more likely that you gather, and as we've sung all morning, we, and what an incredible job the worship team did and what an incredible job Clark did just selecting those songs and they couldn't they couldn't be any any more stirring to my heart and any more true this morning that what Christ accomplished on the cross that it was the all-sufficient merit 
that it is finished, that there is no more work to be done. But somehow we gather. And I know who I am. We gather and we know our past. We know, we know the sin that has so easily beset us. We know the moments, even this week, where maybe we, maybe we look like those disciples that were to be praying when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and we find ourselves asleep and distracted. We find ourselves trying to read the Word of God and, and our thoughts have gone a different direction. And we, we look and we, we recognize that Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross of Calvary. And we believe that he died and that he was placed in a barred tomb and that he rose again. But we wonder, is it really enough? Is the truth of that song, like, is it all sufficient for me that Jesus that what he did on that cross, that it, that, it, that it counted for me. And that it was enough to provide forgiveness for my sin, even in the midst of my depravity, in the midst of the mud. Like we know the mud hole. I know the mud hole that I was in yesterday. Right? And we know, right? if we're honest with ourselves, we know the depth of our sin and the brokenness in our hearts. We know those things. Could it be that that's us maybe doubting? That the work of Christ is enough. But I want you to know that this story of Thomas, I want to skip ahead for just a moment. And this story of Thomas and, and how God so graciously reveals himself to Thomas is written before verse 30 and 31. And so I want to skip ahead to those. And this is the last story that he shares before he says this. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you have life in His name. See, because He lives, we can have hope in times of hurting. Because He lives, we can have faith in times of fear. And because He lives, our doubts can be turned to declaration. Look at what happens as, as Jesus encounters Thomas. After eight days, his disciples, verse 26, were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he addresses Thomas, and, and there's something incredible that we see in this passage. He, he addresses Thomas, and he says something to him. Now, remember, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus came and was with the disciples the first time. And then the disciples have been telling him of Jesus' appearance to them. And Thomas had made this statement. But Jesus shows up and he says to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. How did he know that? Right, we see in the... Jesus' resurrected, glorified body. We see that Jesus is omniscient, right? That he knows all things, that he's omnipresent, that he is everywhere in these moments. And he knows exactly what Thomas had said. And he addresses him in that moment. And here's what I want you to see in here. He may, he didn't answer, I'm sure, every question that all the disciples had as they were trying to understand all the things that were taking place. He didn't answer every question. But he did something incredible. He simply revealed himself. And Thomas answered and said to him in verse 28, and he gives this greatest confession, this, this declaration. 
Thomas answers and says to him, my Lord and my God. It is this confession, is this surrender. He recognizes that he is risen and he says, my Lord and my God. I heard a preacher say one time that Thomas had gone uh, from doubting to pouting to shouting. Just all in that moment, right? And, and here he was, right? My Lord and my God. He confesses this. He, he believes, right? And Thomas, while he may get a bad rap, we would know from tradition that he would go on to die as a martyr from his faith, that he would be speared in India, that he would die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would see how gracious our God is in dealing with his doubt. And here's the truth. We can find ourselves doubting. It happens to all of us in the midst of our circumstances. We wrestle, right? We see these moments and we say, God, it wasn't supposed to go this way. Why did these things happen? We, we have those moments, right, when we, when we wrestle with those things. And I want to encourage you like Thomas. I want to encourage you to remember his wounds this morning. I want to encourage you like the disciples that ran to the tomb that we run there and we're reminded of the, the power that rose Jesus from the grave. We're reminded of the greatness of our God. But you know, I want to I encourage you to look and remember his wounds this morning. You know, when we think about this resurrected body and maybe you've wondered why it is that this glorified body of Christ, this resurrected body would still have the scars and we would read in Revelation of the worship that would take place around a lamb who was slain, that Jesus will bear those scars. And I want to tell you, those scars tell a story, right? Jesus could have healed him, right? He could have taken them away. But those scars, those wounds, they're always supposed to be in front of us. And they tell a story. They remind us of his suffering. They remind us of his faithfulness. They remind us that his work was enough. They remind us of the sufficiency of his sacrifice. They remind us of his forgiveness. And those that have came in this morning, could God really forgive me? Could God really forgive me of all those things that I've done? Could he really do that? And even this week, right, maybe your mind has wondered. Maybe you resonate with some of those things this morning. But you would look to those wounds and you would remember that Jesus is enough. And through the resurrection of Christ, we know we know because Jesus, because God raised him from the dead, that the sacrifice was sufficient, that God had accepted that sacrifice. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, that your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. He would tell them that if we've hoped in Christ only in this life, we're to be pitied above all men. But Jesus has risen from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, we know that the Father had accepted the atoning work of Christ. And the death of Christ is the ground on which God is able to forgive our sin and give us new life, right? We, we, we look back at those decisions and we take our hand off a checker piece and we think about, man, I wish I'd gone a different direction when I pulled in my yard last night. And we look at all those things. But I want you to know that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can be made new and that we can be made holy. We can be made blameless. We can be forgiven of our sins. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, that, that he has been made new. 
that all things, that, that, that the old has passed and the new has come. Later in that same chapter, he would say that Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. To tell us die, the work is done. And on that resurrection Sunday morning, as Jesus rose from the grave, the Father, in his mercy and grace, said, Amen. The work is done. Jesus is alive. And then in verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. And we gather this morning, and if you have surrendered your life to Christ and believed in the finished work of the cross, believing in him, trusting in him, blessed are you who have not seen but yet have believed. Some of us, we've been trying to work harder. We've been trying to, to do all these things. You know, every other religion says you do all these things, and then somehow you can work your way and earn your way uh, into, into being able to be in the presence of God. Christianity says there is no work to be done, that the work has been done, that it is finished. And all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in our sights. All of our work, we're just spinning our wheels and getting nowhere just further into the mud and the murk. But when we look to the cross and we believe and trust in the finished work of Christ in our place, we are made new. We believe, we cry out like Thomas, my Lord and my God. Jesus is enough. His scars, his wounds, they tell the story. And how do we respond to that this morning? How do we respond to Resurrection Sunday? How do we respond to the finished work of the cross? I believe in God's grace and his mercy through the word of God that has been preserved for us and the power of the Holy Spirit that he comes in in the midst of us this morning and he says, peace be unto you. And we respond like Thomas. We look to his wounds. We recognize that there's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we could do to be good enough. There's nothing. We are stuck. We are buried. We are in, we're far worse off than we could ever imagine or think in the mud and the pit and the, the mess we know of it. But you can look to his wounds this morning and know that the work of the cross, it is sufficient for the salvation of sinners. And if we would believe and trust in him, that we could be forgiven and made new, that we could become part of the family of God. And the appropriate response this morning is like Thomas, to look to those wounds of the risen Christ and to surrender everything to him. My Lord and my God, I believe. You know, it's not simply enough to know about Jesus. It's not simply enough to know that he rose from the grave and to believe that, but we must respond personally. We must respond to the good news of the gospel, to call him our own, to confess publicly, my Lord and my God. You know, over these next few weeks, next Sunday, when we gather here, we're going to be uh, having baptism uh, during this service, and maybe that's your next step in following Christ to to publicly profess your faith in Christ. Maybe you've uh, trusted and, and believed. Maybe you've had a, a time in your life where he's revealed himself to you. 
and you've responded, my Lord and my God, I believe, I trust you. Lord, I surrender my life to you. You've been saved and born again into the family of God. But maybe you've never taken that next step of obedience and being baptized. Maybe that is what God is speaking to you this morning and, and that you would come and, and this morning just say, you know, I want to be baptized as a, as a believer. I want to declare to the world and publicly profess and confess that Jesus is Lord. I want to invite you. We're going to have a time of response, a time of worship, a time where, uh, where we will reflect and celebrate and, and be reminded uh, that our Savior uh, is alive. And we're going to sing and rejoice in that. But during that time, if, uh, if God is speaking to you, I want to invite you uh, to come to this altar. We'd, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, uh, to, to point you uh, to Christ. To, to maybe, you're, maybe you're like Mary and you came grieving this morning and you, you, you desire hope in Christ. We'd love to, uh, to pray with you. But maybe this morning you, you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this morning, you've come to this place. And just as God was gracious to reveal himself to Thomas, maybe you've been doubting, maybe you've been wondering about the truths of all these things, and somehow, in ways that maybe you don't even understand, you know God is speaking to you, and you know that this resurrection story is true. Maybe you've been doubting, God couldn't forgive me. Look at all I've done. Look at how far I've gone. But this morning you look and as, as you're reminded of those wounds, as you're reminded of those scars, you're reminded that his work is sufficient. And I want to invite you to call on his name this morning, my Lord and my God, to surrender your life to him and to be born again, to be saved, to be made new, to be forgiven. I want to pray for us. and God, we, we're grateful. That, Lord, the work of the cross was sufficient for all who would believe, Lord, that we might be made new. God, you would tell us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And, God, we pray that this morning there would be people in this room, God, that would look to you would look to your wounds, God, and that they would live, God, because they would believe, God, that they would look to the cross and believe that what you did there, that what Jesus did on that cross, that it was sufficient for the, for the salvation of the world. God, and we, God, we declare this morning that we believe. Lord, I pray, God, that if there's someone here that has never trusted you, that they would do that, even in these moments, God, and that they would make that known. God, that they would respond during this time of worship, that they might come uh, even to this stage, Lord, to this place that we are going to, to kneel and to pray. God, that they would come and just declare this morning, I believe he is my Lord and my God, I trust him. God, whatever the needs may be, Lord, we, we're grateful, Lord, that you gather in our midst and that peace is extended to us. Lord, have your will and way in every life here, God. Meet us exactly where we're at, God, because we're so grateful you do that. God, change us from the inside out. And let us leave, Lord, with resurrection hope, regardless of our circumstances, knowing the work is done. Jesus is alive. And because the tomb is empty, Lord, everything has been changed.
God, we love you. Have your will and way in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Be obedient this morning as God speaks.